0: You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, Episode 11.
1: Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast,
2: where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now,
0: your host, David Michael. Hey everybody, welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm glad to have you with us today for episode 11 where I am interviewing Tony DeSero and Billy Dickensheets of Three Dimensional Entertainment. Now this is a uh, fairly new, um, I say new, but within the past year or so, year and a half, um, uh, promotional company that is run here in my hometown of Dayton, Ohio, and I wanted to interview them because they are uh, doing really big things for my scene here locally. They are bringing in um, much bigger names than we are used to having um, in a town this size um, and a lot bigger production values and that sort of thing. And uh, they really are just focusing on building the scene and uh, collaborating and uh, doing multi-genre, multi-format shows and doing all kinds of different things to really bring together uh, different aspects of our scene in order to help... um, unify and kind of stitch things together where there might be some loose ends and uh, I have a huge appreciation for these guys and what they're doing and I wanted to talk to them about that. So um, I'm going to go ahead and skip past the uh, questions and answers part of the podcast today because I had to cut the interview way down uh, just to make it fit under an hour. So we're going to skip it uh, for this episode but I do want to give you a reminder that if you want To have your questions answered right here on the podcast, just go to passionatedj.com forward slash ask. You can either send me an email at david at passionatedj.com or if you'd like uh, to leave me a voicemail, you could do that at the link there at uh, forward slash ask. Uh, Use any internal microphone or webcam or external mic or whatever you've got connected to your computer um, and I would love to hear your voice and uh, put you on the podcast um, and also plug any website or Mixcloud page or Facebook page or whatever you have, you're allowed to submit uh, one link with your question so that uh, you can kind of get a little free promo for getting your question answered. So we're going to go ahead and move on. So without further ado, here is my interview with Three Dimensional Entertainment. So welcome, Tony and Billy. How are you guys doing? Good, how are you? I am fantastic. I want to talk to you guys today about Three Dimensional Entertainment. I want to know... What it's about and what you guys do and what sets you apart, um, but first I want to get to know or at least let my audience get to know you guys. so tell us a little bit about your history. Um, I don't know who wants to go first, Tony um, as far as <laughs> as far as uh, you can you know your journey into DJing and, and promotion and then how that leads up to uh, three dimensional
1: um let's see my dj career started many many years ago probably about 22 23 years ago i was fascinated when i uh was watching jam master j on an mtv concert saw him scratch i was fascinated by scratching so i was yeah third grade third or fourth grader and uh you know i lived in the skating rinks as most of us djs did you know that's kind of where we all got our start bought my first set of tables in 1991 started playing the top 40 clubs and things like that around here and uh that was kind of my start into the mixing side of things. Were like that a we'll
0: multi-format DJ or did you did you go in with a specific sound in mind? No,
1: it was it was top 40 at the time. It was it was it was all top 40 play. I didn't really get into electronic music until I heard a Sasha and Digweed uh, uh Renaissance. That'll do it. That. I heard that in 94 was um kind of didn't really dig because I was still working in the top 40 clubs at the time. Went to my first rave and 1995 and fell in love with the reaction the DJ was getting from the kids. You know, in the top 40 clubs, to me, those kids really didn't care what the DJ was doing. So um from that point on, after the rave, I was just I was hooked instantly, and I tried to figure out how to get into that. And eventually, I I started throwing raves with uh Mike Donovan and Dana. We were bounce theory. You know, through three or four raves and. Um, I also played at those parties, and you know,
0: these like warehouse parties. Or, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, bingo halls, warehouses, whatever we could get into at the time. You know, because yeah. um, back then it wasn't really. Uh, a lot of people didn't know about it. You know, the uh, the people that owned the venues, we weren't going to go to them and say, "Hey, we're throwing a rave." You know, <laughs> right? But whatever we could get into at the time, so that led to more of my promotion, career, and uh, then it just it it just all tied together.
0: Did you get into promotion because that's what you wanted to do, or there was a need that needed to be filled, or Um, was it just purely a business venture at first? I mean, how did that enter your head as something you wanted to do?
1: I met uh, Mike Donovan, uh, a girl I went to college with, introduced Mike Donovan and myself. Mike Donovan would come over to my house. You know, I showed him how to to DJ a little bit and the basics of it, and um, him and Dana and myself just decided to throw a party. You know, it wasn't anything big. Um, it was at uh, uh, where was it? It was a BHA. It was underneath a piano store in, in okay. downtown. We threw that, and then we decided to throw another party. We got DJ Swamp. Within we put together a party within like a like a few weeks. Did 500 people, and then you know, obviously it led to the next party, which was uh, Punnett Squared. We did about you know 800 people, and then Channel drive, which we did like. Eighteen hundred, now it's like fifteen hundred people.
0: So you just gave it a little push, and it was like the runaway train; it just kept on yeah. going. Yep,
1: awesome. yep. It was. I mean, I wanted to. Obviously, I wanted to DJ. That was my main focus and my my love and my passion and everything. But putting the parties together as well, you know, it was it was it was awesome.
0: And what about you, Billy? what's your What's your history in this whole thing? what uh, What got you started in the scene, and and what made you want to get more involved? I
2: was. Drug to my first rave in, I believe it was either late 2000 or late 2001. When
0: um, you say drug to your first <laughs> Yeah. I said that. My friends
2: literally grabbed me up and were like, yeah, you, this is something that you need to go experience. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, wasn't really into electronic music as much as I am now. <laughs> I guess that was a real eye-opening experience. Um, it was, I believe the name of the party was Bass Reaction or base Reaction 2 pretty big party there's probably like seven, eight hundred people there I ran into a lot of friends that I never knew were involved it was a real fun time I guess being around all the people that were just thoroughly enjoying themselves and not really caring about what was going on around them like you were you and everyone loved you for that I grew up in the plur days you know right? Uh, candy ravers galore and UFOs and (laughs) everyone loved everyone so that was a big pull for me. Now, was that here in Dayton? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes, that was here in Dayton. I started going to these parties all the time. Like, every weekend with my friends, it was a thing where we would roll out on Thursday. we're we'd, Thursday night, Cincinnati. Friday night, we'd be in Indianapolis. Saturday night, there'd be a party Dayton, Cincy. You know. And then there's the after party, and it was just a, a fun time. I never really got into the musical aspect of it. I was more on the party side of it i enjoyed having all my friends in one place like i have friends in indianapolis cincinnati detroit columbus the people from all over the place and to see them all in one area at one point in time just thoroughly enjoying themselves was a real pull for me you know a few years of partying here in dayton and um the scene was kind of like when i got in the scene was kind of fluttering out in the area i guess you could say they were really cracking down on the raves in the area um wouldn't allow them to go like they used to like you were throwing gym club and roller dome parties with a thousand to fifteen hundred kids when I first started and then they were shutting them down on the regular and it was just kind of dying out around here so then I found my escape by going to Detroit where you can party all night long in numerous venues and it really isn't a big deal Electronic. Music is just deeply rooted in the community, so it's not looked down upon like it is around here.
0: So you just started hanging out in Detroit?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I'm, okay. uh, I actually met my Detroit friends at my first date and party. Okay. Um My first date and party, we were introduced because I had some Raven LED, like dance lights that you used to hold in your hand, and they strode when you... Right. And we're talking in like 2001, you know. those the original Poi, I guess. Uh <laughs> But I had him at the party, and I was dancing with him, and my buddy came up, and he was like, hey, and I didn't even know him at the time, had no idea who he was, and he was like, hey, can I borrow your lights, and I was like, sure, and he took off bouncing through the party and was gone for like an hour and a half, and I thought somebody just got me for my lights, and uh, here he come, bouncing back up to me in the middle of the rave with the lights, so I just seen him bouncing through the crowd, and he found me, and he gave him back, and we exchanged numbers, and that was that, I mean, that
0: was the birth of my little Detroit hangout. How how did that lead into Night Sneak? So it, Night Sneak Night Sneak's pretty pretty big name in Detroit. Um, the friend that I met
2: at that party that I'm talking about, uh, he went on to become the f- co-founder of Night Sneak Entertainment. Okay. He basically birthed it with his his name's James Woods. Um, he birthed it with his cousin, Jesse James Wood. Both of those guys I met during the rave scene, uh, we used to just go to festivals together and like would just brainstorm and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. You know, you get on those little tangents. You know, like that one thing led to another. We partied, we partied, we partied, we observed, we watched production. And those guys kind of branched out. Jesse went on to be a a DJ, branched out doing his own thing artistry-wise. James became the promoter and the, the brains behind the operation. And me being the best friend of the two... I just kind of was there, you know, like observing, watching, helping in any way I can, mental noting everything, and I kind of just watched these guys with a little bit of involvement for myself, you know build up a company from the ground up that is now throws the biggest underground parties
0: in Detroit, and have i mean they've been running twelve years strong now, so so that that led into to deeper involvement with uh with you as far as Night Sneak goes, right? You were, uh, what, booking? I was helping with booking. I was definitely
2: scouting the areas. You know, like me being in Ohio more than Detroit. Obviously, this is my home. So I see the Ohio artists, you know, and I get a little bit better feel of what's more popular around here, who's going to draw for this crowd. Those guys were doing their thing in Detroit. You know, where my involvement was, I basically got to watch these guys build it with their bare hands, you know. So I seen firsthand and witnessed firsthand, you know, every little thing that you could go through while building an underground electronic company, you know. Yeah. And the difference being that they're in a huge market and we're in a market that's nowhere near that size, obviously.
0: So let's let's talk about that a little bit. What what's the difference I guess now between the the scene and the music in Dayton versus Detroit? I mean it's there's a lot of Detroit influence here. Yes. Because we're not that far away. Mm-hmm. You know, three hour drive at the most. Um is it different up there? Is it or is it just differently scaled? I would say both. I say I would say
2: it's differently scaled because it's been built into the community for so long. Mm. Like the uh, Detroit Techno is, you know, a mainstay in the electronic music yeah. industry. Worldwide. Yeah, worldwide. Yeah. Um people such as the Detroit Techno Militia who do a European tour every year. They do a European tour. Uh Jesse's been booked overseas in like Hong Kong and stuff like that. And these are regional headlining acts from Detroit getting booked worldwide. So if we could ever get a regional act from Dayton booked overseas, I mean to scale that like that would be major for the area. It's there's so many more people involved, I guess. Uh, just because it's it's the thing to do, you know. Up there, it's the thing to do. Electronic music is everywhere. Whether you're sitting down eating dinner, or you're in the people mover going from the Rensselaer to wherever you're going downtown, you know, it's just deeply rooted in the culture. I feel so. There's a lot more people
0: behind it. It's not looked down upon. So you you both have have been involved with shows. Outside of you know our our hometown here, I mean Tony's played all over North America. you've had this night sneak and three d m and all these different things I mean w- are there a lot of cultural differences depending on where you play and where you've seen shows and things that you've been involved in, or is it all pretty much the same just with different people running things I mean what have you noticed any big differences in other uh, scenes I guess <sighs>
1: Absolutely. There's a difference everywhere you play. I feel like Detroit and Dayton really have a common bond. I don't know if I want to use... I, I guess I'll use the word underground. You know, the feel, it's more of an organic sound, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to the the college cities where it's, you know, all the commercial, right. the big room, the mainstream. The Yeah, there's a big difference.
0: I think both... Uh, I mean, you guys probably agree, Detroit and Dayton at least have a very solid, at least core, couple of people who really push the underground thing and
1: keep keep that going you i would say a couple lulls. people here or there i would say more than a well, couple <laughs> well, okay yeah, <laughs> up there a few companies
0: are more involved yeah. with the underground side, but, it, here, but it's definitely a few people. scaled differently but the same kind of thing i mean there's still that yes. that push has never gone away absolutely
2: yes. they're devoted to keeping the underground alive just like we are
0: because I've, I've talked about on other episodes before about how when i first got into the scene here in dayton was probably a little after you did when uh billy when uh things were really dying down from the rave scene and there was like literally nothing to do here, but I still was able to find people, you know, and, and eventually, you know, things started picking up again and we, I feel like we have something pretty solid now. Do you think that that exists everywhere to where there's just that, that core network of people or do you think we have something special?
1: There will, I, I believe there will always be people that, that love the electronic music right now. It's, it's, um, it's, it's the end thing, you know, and when it's not the end thing, you'll have your core group of people, you know, because the other people that are doing it just because it's the cool thing right now, they're going to go on and do their own thing. You
0: know, I had no plans to talk about this, but I I love talking about it. So let let's take a tangent here for a second. What are your thoughts on this whole uh, so-called EDM bubble? Let's let's dig into that a little bit because I know Tony and I have had discussions about this before, and you've actually kind of changed my tune on this because I when it first started happening, I hated it, especially like when dubstep hit. And I never had a problem with dubstep as a genre, but what it did and what it changed in the scene to me. It was just really weird. There was a whole lot of new kids, and which is I a good thing is. I view now. But
2: yeah. I guess the way I see it is, you, you're getting, you're they're giving us in routes to new people, new faces. It's our duty, if if we're keeping underground music alive, then it's our duty to show them what real electronic underground music is. They're getting introduced to the scene with mainstream lots of lights not a good like not real good artistry per se on stage but it's our job to show them what good artists actually produce good music and what that music sounds like so so, yeah. so they're getting brought in on a hope and a prayer it's our thing to grab them and show them the ropes
0: yeah I th- i think that the disconnect that i initially had was i didn't put i mean i realized that we needed to introduce new people to you know the scene who are looking for something like this, but I, I guess I didn't I, until I saw it firsthand. Because you got to realize when I came into the scene there was already nothing, so I didn't really I, I hadn't seen this happen. And now that we're here in the states and in the Midwest, and we have this huge um, influx of of uh, this type of event and this type of music, there's new blood, but it's also brought the old blood back out. I mean, it's just everything as much. The underground is stronger there was too. A huge
1: generation that, gap, I feel, because like yeah. we say, electronic music it took a back burner to hip hop. Yeah. You know, in, in that whole generation, there's a, ma- a massive gap. Well, when you know dubstep started hitting here and getting popular, it, it was an outlet for those young kids to realize that hey, I do like electronic music or some form of it. You know, there's always a door that that opens up for those kids to walk through and figure out if they like things or not.
0: I remember there was one particular conversation that we had, and I can't remember who we were talking about, and I I probably wouldn't mention who it was if I did, but there was some some name was coming into town. Uh, it was like a Skrillex type, and uh, and I was like, you said something about are you going to this, and and I was like, nah, this is not really what I'm looking for. And, you know, you said something about the su- supporting the scene. And I was like, well, that's not the sound I want to support. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really feel that way now because I, I realized that, you know, it's important to get those people and to support those nights because it allows three-dimensional to do what you're doing mm-hmm. now. Absolutely. And if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. Right. Um, and, I mean, there I'd, I'd been told that before, and I kind of knew it, but actually seeing it happen is like, you know, that social proof is there.
1: I felt like, I feel like there, there was a huge divide between the dubstep and the house and the techno. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like the dubstep supported the dubstep shows, and the techno and the house guys supported that. And that's you slowly know. changing. Yeah, when you do... We we do multi genre shows, you know. We're not just yeah. We love techno, we love house, we love that side of things, but we want to bring everybody together. We want to bridge that gap. We're I'm tired. We're tired of the scene just splitting. So we do multi genre, man. It, it's
2: and I guess what the way I see it is, if you're having a great time, if you think back upon the nights that you've had great times at musical events, raves per se, do you actually remember at what point in time, at twelve forty five that night when you had a great laugh with your friends. Who exactly was on the DJ decks that, at that very moment? A lot of people can't because when you're having such a great time, the music is the foreground. You hear the music, but it's just kind of playing into your good time. To get them in, having a good time, and then play foreground music so they can hear all kinds of different genres, That's a, they may party on a regular together and only listen to dubstep and trap. They may not have ever heard some of the things that they're going to hear. Yeah. So if we can put that in their ear and they tend to like it, that's good for us too.
0: I, I think what what happened, at least maybe locally, I don't know if this is universal, but there were a lot of people clinging on to the like uh, when things were really banging in the '90s and, and the rave scene and all that. And then when things died out, the people, the heads, I guess, were so obsessed with the music and obviously i don't think that's a bad thing because so am i but we're so concerned with keeping the music alive and that sort of thing that they didn't think about what's the purpose of the show they're throwing and it became i think that music is definitely very important it's why we're all doing this but they that doesn't mean you throw everything out and be like, okay, what about the actual like experience of the night? What about I mean, it, it's it's about giving people a good time, and Sweet. the music should be a part of that. It shouldn't be the only thing. The music might be enough for the three of us in this room, but it's not enough for everyone. An
1: overall experience,
0: because you can you can put your headphones on and get
1: that. That's you know when I talk to people about trying to. Promote our events and things like that. That's one thing that I I try and focus on. Well, you know, my friends don't like techno. My friends don't like electronic music. Well, it's it's about that. That's what, you know, but it's about the experience. It's about the party. Right. You know, that's what you sell. Sell the party. Yeah. Because they don't know if they like the music or not. Yeah. They may come have the best time of their life, just like a, a festival. You know, I'm going back next year riding a roller coaster. I'm scared to ride it, but after I ride it, I want to get back on and ride it again. Same thing. You come to a party, you have a blast. When is the next one? When is the next one? And it's
0: interesting that uh, that you two kind of came into that from a different angles. Tony, you came in through the music, and Billy, you came in through the party. And so I I imagine that has something to do with why um, you guys have such a good working relationship. Absolutely. You have. I mean, you both understand both sides of it, but you were introduced <clears throat> through those different routes, and so you can probably see the importance of.
1: I feel like the, the DJ and the promoter have a, a common goal, and that's really t- when you're DJing and you look out and you see you know hundreds of people dancing and moving and having a good time to your music. That's that's rewarding. When you throw a party and you look out into the party and you see hundreds of people dancing mm. that, and smiling, that's rewarding. Yeah. So to me, it's like a one. Con- it's it's a common goal between between both. Especially
2: if
0: you got three hundred people and a hundred of them are your friends from all over the place, it's real, right it makes you feel yeah. real good about yourself. So how did the three-dimensional actually come about? What do you want to do with three-dimensional? Why why is it a thing? Well, Tony had to beat me upside the head with a baseball bat
2: and (laughs) drag me into his house. He always does that. (laughs) And then uh, he got me to sit down for a meeting, and we finally brainstormed it up, but... uh...
0: Were you guys just, were you introduced to each other because you wanted to do this, or were you friends and then it just came up? um, Um, Our introduction, you want me to go with
1: that? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
2: Um, Our introduction basically came when uh, I had heard about him through the grapevine, like never really personally knew him, was doing an event in Dayton. The event wasn't going so well at the time. Uh, The person I was relying on was not around to help. I didn't even know Tony at the time, and Tony just basically jumped in full force, all hands on deck. I didn't even know the guy personally, and he basically saved my event. And uh, from that point in time, I was forever grateful, and you know, very, 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 uh, I very grateful. I guess. You
0: guys paying attention to this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good stuff. This so. is proof positive that uh, you know the things we talk about—collaboration uh, and and uh, networking in a positive way, and and just giving. I mean I that's that already paid off it's for all, both of you. It's,
1: it's support, you know. It's supporting the scene is what it is, and in, in a whole, it's you know, with with my production knowledge and things like that. Some sound things were going wrong. I figured it out, you know, and and I just jumped up and I helped out. It's 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 what I'm used to doing, yeah, and I've
0: seen you do that a hundred times yeah. too.
1: I did. I didn't know Billy, you know, but at the same time, I hate to see somebody throwing a show. Something go wrong with the sound, and the whole crowd just is looking around they don 't know what to do, oh, yeah, you know obviously the show must go on, and the show go must go on, on. so we, we we made it work, and it, it was a good party, so you know? that that led to discussions
0: of from that
2: point in time of our intro, it was a little less than or right at a year before we actually came to throw an event together. Uh, we threw two <laughs> events together just. On our names, you know, Billy Dickensheets and and Tony DeSaro present. And they worked. Yes, they worked really well, really well. Uh, For two guys that just threw something together, you know, on a a whim and a handshake that had just met each other, it was really working out well. Uh, We did those two events. The last event was December 7th. And um, we took the winner. You know, we went through the holidays. We talked. We continued to grow our friendship. And we just were talking business in it kind of rolled around rolled around we kicked it around i believe it was late february, february or so February or March. and we were just in a meeting you know and it was it was it, a two-hour meeting yeah it was just a it was meeting a brainstorming minds. meeting it, uh, a brainstorming meeting it was all it was we weren't planning any events we weren't doing anything we were just sitting down just face happened. to face and uh just things started rolling off the tongue, you know. I was like, "Hey, my name's Dickensheets. You know, this is his name's Desaro, representing Dayton. Like, we got three Ds. What can we rep? What can we move it into? And then three D got thrown out there, and then this moved into that, and then it was just
0: it was, all of a sudden three so, dimensional. Suddenly, out. you have a concept. After it was three D,
1: and then it then I had said, "What does D stand for?" And it was dimensional. And then that's. Then it, we tried to figure out a million ways to spell it, and just kept rolling off idea, rolled off of idea, off of idea, off of idea.
0: So you, you both, uh, so th- three-dimensional is actually still pretty new. It's in its infancy. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, April,
2: April twentieth was our launch event as three-dimensional entertainment. All
0: right. So you guys aren't new to throwing shows, but you're still. I mean, as far as going together, you haven't been doing this for years and years. So no. what, what would you guys say is different, throwing shows now? As opposed to like 10 years ago, or or is it?
1: Throwing them now, I feel like they're more structured. Hmm. Um, I mean, when you say. Are 10, you
0: more structured, or do they need to be more
1: structured? Um, I think it's treated more. It depends. Are you talking about the warehouse days, or are you talking because. Yeah. Or, the I warehouse mean, days was, was a lot different. And even working with the agencies and things like that, it's a lot different because there's there's forms you have to fill out, offer sheets you have to fill out, things like that. Back in the day, you could just. You know, if you've worked with agency before, you call them up and you save the date, and you know what I mean. You pay them their half and pay them it's their other half. But now it's Got there's a lot more ass. going into it, a lot more going into it because it's become more of a business as opposed to hey, let's just let's throw a rave, let's put two thousand people in an illegal warehouse, and you know what I mean. Now it it's, almost it's, has to be yeah, more of
0: a business now.
2: Absolutely. Well, yeah, when you have artists charging five thousand, ten thousand, fifty thousand dollars for a day that has to be structured cuz the promoters can't afford to lose that kind of money yeah. where they could put an event together back in the day for 5 grand you know that was awesome now 5000
0: barely gets you the headlining artist that you want so what uh what do you guys do to try to set your brand apart and your shows apart be what? inclusive
2: that's the first thing that we've tried to do awesome. is include everyone every crew Every person that we can involve, we've absolutely tried to involve. Love it. We've given everyone a chance. We kind of just take it as a you-show-us-what-you're-made-of type mentality. Like, yeah, we're going to book you. That's awesome. You, as an artist, it's on you to sell yourself to us as well as the crowd. So we give you the opportunity to work with us, play our events. We're giving them big room sound to play on, which is something that really doesn't come across in Dayton very much. For them to play on a 15, 20, 40,000-watt system, that's something that a lot of artists in Dayton want to do. So we're trying to give that experience to them.
0: I think we've got one other sound system like that in Dayton, and almost nobody's allowed to touch it. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) At Mask. And see, that's what I, I, I guess we want to have everyone
2: included. We don't want anyone to feel that we've slided them or left them out. So if you feel that way, go ahead and contact us because we will put you on a bill.
1: We definitely go after the experience, you know. We do, we do. It's not a one-off club show; it's a, it's an experience. You know, we bring production into the place. It's not, we, yeah. And you we, really
0: are building a brand. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's already. Whenever I go to a to a three dimensional show, I know that I'm at a three dimensional show, even though it's completely different than the last one. There's new production values. There's new ideas being introduced. There's new uh, sounds and DJs but it's still very you i really like that from a branding perspective that because that builds trust with an audience you know if you guys are throwing an event i'm going to go i have that brand trust and so few people i think bother with that they just they worry about the here and now and like every show that i've been to that you guys throw you have the flyer for the next show there already and which i think is awesome you guys are always Thinking ahead is that tough to do? Because I you know I've tried to plan ahead like that, and I man, it's difficult for me to scrape together.
1: Especially when you're still planning the show that's getting ready to come up. I mean, there's there's times where Billy will send me a message, an email, or whatever, and I'll completely forget that I told him that I was supposed to do something mm-hmm. because I have my head wrapped around this show. Yeah, and you know all the other stuff. So yeah, it's it's definitely well, n- and then now I'm sorry to cut no, you off. No, and then
2: now to throw on top of that, you're growing a company that's in the infant stage, you're planning a major event, you're throwing that major event in two weeks, you're still planning for the event in two months, and you're still growing your company all in one. You're not only are we throwing events, but we are well past throwing events. You know, we're getting into the paper, we're experimenting with getting on TV, we're doing interviews, you know, we're ordering merchandise we're designing merchandise uh anything that you're you, getting uncomfortable yeah well yeah you're, you're just yourself out there you're yeah. just yeah you're playing a one massive juggling act really is the way i see it at the same time yeah everyone sees us we're throwing a party you know that's what that's what everyone sees but they don't see the background of we're growing a brand and we're like really into the music you know
0: absolutely how much thought do you guys put into the the progression of a night as far like one literal night huge, huge. Um, our
1: lineups that takes a lot because we try and figure out who can we put on first who will even want to play first who will want to open this room yet have that genre and that feel that we need to be that open room you know a couple of times you, you you play deep house you know you like that opening slot not many times can we find somebody to do that or even want to do that you know, and then...
0: Well, and people that do kind of get stuck there sometimes. Yeah. I've experienced that, and too. And it,
1: it, it seems like the opening spots, you know, I've, I've done it for a long time. I feel like it's harder than being a headliner. Yeah. You know, because you can't play the bangers. You can't... You don't want to do that. You have to build your night progressively. And, and to do that with six different acts, it, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Day one, basically. Even with, with the sound, you know, you... you your sound guy, your front of house sound. Every guy wants to to jack that sound up as loud as they can go, you know. And it's just not about that. It's increasing the sound. It's increasing the lights. It's in, you know, the the genre that of of the talent that's playing. It's it's got to be increasing. And to do that, two different rooms, five acts in this room, six acts in this room. It's it's very difficult. Yeah. So two state, two
2: rooms, two rooms of production. Two, at two totally different environments to control with progression. It's a day one process from the p- the show is planned around the progression of the music. The the show isn't just planned and then the music is put forth. The headliner may be built, but we're building from the ground up, you know, just like he said, from the beginning to the end the music is supposed to roll.
0: There's an unfortunate irony that by the <laughs> by the time a DJ is good and experienced enough to properly warm up a night They no longer want to warm up at night, it seems. And so that makes the job of the promoter really difficult because, uh, you know, a a lot of us are DJs too and you get it. But at the same time, it's like, well, I I don't want somebody slamming out like, you know, 140 beats per minute full on stuff at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m.
1: With the younger generation, too, they, they you know their their music is that what I like to call instant gratification, you know every song is is, is, is massive, it's a big room song, and it's you know it, it, it's I don't want to say all the younger generation, so excuse me for saying that. the newer the newer yeah, and it's and, and it's thank, thank God for you know you and Zach, tangled branches that like those spots. it's just you can't put those kids on at the beginning. You know, so it's it's difficult. They don't they don't understand it. Like you said, it's it's re- and it's really hard, man. It, it it's really hard to be any type of opening act because you want that instant gratification. You want.
0: Well, I think you know part of what we're trying. You know, we talked a little bit about helping to educate the the newer people who they're being kind of primed for being these like long term fans of this this whole thing. Mm-hmm. You can't just bash them over the head and be like, "Look, we start out." A little slower and then build the night up and then there's like this big journey thing like if they haven't experienced it yeah. they don't know what it's about but at the same time if they walk in and they're like well you're just going to play this like down tempo stuff all day like they just so it's it's kind of hard to I, the I don't
1: span these days I believe is really really small with yeah. due to the internet you know yeah. everybody can get what they want right here right now and it's
0: but I think that's that's why the uh, multi-genre multi-format thing works because mm-hmm. there's there's going to be some variety there mm-hmm. and even if you're building up the progression of a night you know if somebody walks in they're like wow well, they this is too boring or this is too eclectic for me there's still something else to listen to either soon or in the next room
2: yeah and that's where we try to kind of counteract what we're doing in one room with what we're doing in the other room mm. so we got some down tempo in one room we got some like you know, some, like, solid four-on-the-floor techno in the other room, you know, so, like, if you're not liking the down-tempo and you want to be more upbeat, you can slide off into the front room and grab something that's a little more your taste.
0: And see, I like that approach so much better than what I would say most people seem to do, which is when they, like, if they have two rooms, they'll just, they'll build the night around, they'll still build it around a progression, but it'll be a progression of who they think is the most popular or can bring in the most people, and then they base it solely on that, so you'll have, like, you know, four techno guys playing at the same time or something. And then that defeats the purpose of a multi-room yeah. venue, I think.
2: Well, we don't discriminate. You know, we put... I've I, Tony's played that front room at the venue. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. everyone. You've played the front. You've played the main, right?
0: Um, I've played the main and I'm going to be playing the front yeah, so, uh, this month. I mean,
2: we've pretty much put everyone in both rooms at that place so that we can. You know, we don't want f- someone to feel like we don't get to play on the main stage. So that's... They think we suck or you know like we look down on them in any sort of way because we don't you know it's just the way that it it tended to roll off the that night rolled that way
0: you know yeah. that's that's all it was yeah i mean you can't book everyone for every slot for every, on <laughs> every the main it just stage. doesn't work yeah <laughs> so what about uh, you know you're doing this in a uh, in the grand scheme of things this is a fairly small town for especially some of the names that you're booking and where i think that you guys are going with this what are the advantages and disadvantages of booking big names in a town like Dayton.
2: Disadvantages? Um, when booking artists that are on the scale that we're looking to book, it's uh, pretty difficult to get them to choose, say, a Beezus vein Or, to, I mean, even like San Francisco, California. Uh, I mean, Dallas, Texas, in Miami, Florida, Detroit, Michigan. It's really hard to get them to pick Dayton, Ohio over those cities, mm. those kind of markets. If they have, when the agency looks at it, the agency looks at it as why put them in a market of Dayton on a Saturday night playing for five to 600 when we can put them in a market of, say, Milwaukee, Wisconsin playing for 1,000 to 1,200 kids. You know, these bigger cities just have that pull, they have the backing of the people. You know, they just have more people in general, so that the agency's always going to look to expose the artist more than anything.
1: I would say the disadvantage really is is not that many people. You know, not have it, it's not a big market. It's uh, it's a very it, it's it's just, it's a small market. It's hard to get people to come out and pay fifteen or twenty dollars to a show of an artist that they've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, you go into these bigger cities and these more cultured cities, and it's these people are very well known. Which kind of you know. leads into and Billy's
0: it, thing, you can't, char- you can't pay them as much then because we can't charge as much here, yeah, and, and so it's, it's a cycle. And it's,
1: uh, I mean, Vicious, you yeah. get uh, you get some of the locals that are playing, you know, a couple of their friends might come out, but again, you know, if they're friends, why am I going to pay $15, $20 to see you DJ? Right when I can see you d j at your house or at a one therapy of the therapy cafe or yeah. one of the local nights or whatever, yeah. why would I pay that money to see you? It's difficult, but that's why it kind of goes back to our brand and wanting to promote the party mm. you know the experience and if if we can get them to focus on the experience and realize hey three dimensional throws a hell of a party, yeah, you know. You got to come to this party. You got to come to this party. It's an awesome party. It's a good time. Oh yeah! By the way, Justin Martin's playing.
0: Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) And difficult doesn't doesn't inherently mean not worth it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Most most things that are worth it are difficult. That's why they're difficult. This is a labor of love.
2: One hundred percent. This is a labor of love. We are not getting rich. And if you think we're getting rich, you're highly mistaken. <laughs> we are out here busting our ass on an everyday basis because we love the music and we love the scene.
0: So how how much work is this, really?
2: <laughs> I mean, we meet almost every day. Our meetings run anywhere between four to eight hours. I've sat at Tony's house from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. before doing nothing but work. And Talk you're throwing monthlies. Yes, this is for for
0: right a monthly show. Yes. Other than house parties and things, and this it, is
1: it's 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 a monthly, but it's also it, it's it's a business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you're starting a new business. You're starting mm-hmm. a new brand. Um, I evolving. always go back to Red Bull. At first, was an energy drink. I mean, and it still is, but now they're guys are jumping out of space. You know, and it's it's Red Bull all over it. The so Red it's, Bull brand it's, it's is a bigger, bigger than the drink than the yeah. drink itself now, and yeah. that's. You know, our company. Yeah, we're throwing shows, we're throwing events, but we're we're branding. You know, and it's a startup business, and to start up a business as an entrepreneur, you're working twenty four hours around the clock. You know, well. When what you're about
0: awake. like at, at an individual night? I mean, you guys have to be bouncing all over the place because I even my I the throws I, the shows that I throw are a much smaller scale, and I can't hardly turn around without having something to do. Now, granted, you've got two people and usually kind of a crew together, but. What I mean? Are you guys still able to enjoy the night as it's happening, or have you have you figured that out yet? Because nobody's throwing shows of the don't scale have
1: time to enjoy it like we would like to. we want to. Not yet. You know, we have um, a lot of really close friends that help us out. You know, that are there from the time we load in to the time we load out, and and thank God for them. And we can't do that by ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and they do it just pretty much on the pure love. We're building the brand, like I said, and it's it, when it when it gets built, those ones that were there in the beginning will be there in the end.
2: Yeah, I guess that's where you know, you know having such a great um, business working relationship between the two of us is like I know nothing on the electric the electric side, you know, the technical side of the music, the the equipment, the setup. I know nothing about that. Like I can go up there on stage and I can probably tell you where a couple of wires get plugged in, but as far as the rest of it, I don't know. So being able to rely on this guy and, you know, trust that he's going to get everything done and he can do the same to me that like everything that's going on in the night that he can't handle because he's tied up with that stage and the music he relies on and depends upon me and knows that I will handle it. And that's where that is evolving as well. You know, we're going to continue to have a better time and put people in place that are going to handle what we need to get handled
0: that night. Is that kind of the part of the role that collaboration plays with, I mean, besides scene building um, just being able to have that network of, I guess, have the the reliability and the redundancy. I, I think of I have a background in systems administration, so I think of redundancies and backup plans that sort of thing. And
1: absolutely, um, like like Billy said, those people that are with us now handle their jobs during the day, and they know what they're there for. They know what they're doing, and it allows us to delegate those jobs, so we don't have to worry so much on that. And We want to start focusing on less and less and less to where we plan the show. Everything's in place. All we have to do the day of is, you know, worry about the artist, take care of the artist, and everybody else is doing their thing, and it becomes its own monster, you know.
2: Gets our focus, him and I's focus, back on building the brand and what what ways are we moving this brand forward instead of where we're completely and 100% focused on that party and the next party, you know, like this lineup and that lineup and these flyers and this we're moving more towards where are we taking this brand are we moving into yeah. new venues and new horizons
0: there's got to be a top level view i mean if you're making a hollywood movie you know it's imp- you don't have one guy that's the director and also the boom mic operator and the cameraman and the producer and the i mean there's a reason that that's a
1: role everybody has their own specialty yeah. and, and their own expertise and if they just execute what it is, then you know that's a successful night. Like I
2: guess what I want is just a, a like a, a one night monster. You know we roll in as a monster, we roll out, we get things done, we throw the party, we load up, and that monster was never even there. That's what I want. Like you know we're we're in and we're out, and it's such a fine tuned machine that we do it and we do it to the best that we can, and we're in and we're out. You know it's just real simple instead of. The difficulty because yeah. taking the difficulty away makes for a better night makes for more
0: fun it makes everything easier you now and it lets you focus on the things that are important in the bigger picture yes for sure um, for Dayton specifically are there any advantages to booking bigger names in small towns I mean is that is there anything that what I, I, I cost- mean obviously it costs less but theoretically you make less so
2: I wouldn't I guess I don't know if I would classify this as an advantage but more of a self-fulfilling. You know that like some of the artists that we're going to bring and have plans on bringing have never played in Dayton, Ohio. May never play in Dayton, Ohio again. You know, we don't know that, but on the level that they are, you know, booking these artists out and billing them as first ever Dayton appearance. Like to me that's self-fulfilling. That 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 gives me a lot of pleasure.
0: Yeah, you're bringing something never cool and exciting brought. to your hometown where yes, you grew up and
1: guys that are playing Justin Martin, for example, you know he on his post he posts all of his tour dates. Mm-hmm. You have you have Canada, you have Denver, you have San Francisco, you have uh, you have Spain, you have, you know all these other places, and then Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, you know what I mean. We're we're a D, we're considered a D market, and it, it's to
2: lump them in to see to these yeah, with all these other major markets. Is these guys awesome. that
1: are playing festivals, you know, and all these big events and headlining these events in front of. Thousands and thousands of people, and then Dayton, Ohio. It's it's, it's pretty cool. None of us
0: here are ever going to put like Chicago on the map, really? yeah. but you guys are literally putting Dayton on the map for this sort of thing. I mean, that's that's a pretty cool feeling. That's I can definitely see where that would be fulfilling.
1: It's very rewarding. Yes, yes. it is. Yes. Would you say that
0: that's uh, three dimensional's best contribution to the scene here, or what? To, what is your like? What I
2: want to see three dimensional's
0: stamp on is
2: that three dimensional helped push the scene into a totally new direction around here Mm -hmm. you know helped create cohesion and and people working together at all the parties and everyone was at you know i'd like to see i'd like to three-dimensional put their stamp on that and say yeah we helped start that you know like yeah we started that trend it's the legacy yeah that's what i want to see like yeah they might have threw the biggest baddest parties but what did they do for the scene they created everyone wanting to work together that's what i would like to do me personally
0: yeah, I mean, there are uh, brands here in, in Dayton and Cincinnati and Columbus. I'm sure this happens everywhere where you hear, man, back in the 90s, remember the shows that Blucky Bluck used to throw? Those were amazing. Remember what that did for us? And that that would be pretty awesome to have somebody talk about your brand in that way, yes. you know, in 10 years or, or whenever. Like those guys were
2: throwing major events, but man, did they create some real cohesion around here? Like yep. people just wanting to help each other all the time, you know?
0: Uh so if if you don't mind I want to shift into uh actual DJing um topics for a moment. Um
1: Billy I'm gonna let you handle that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what
0: um what do you uh, this actually this first question you you guys could probably both answer. What do you wish DJs today would do more or less of?
2: <laughs> interaction. I have
0: less or more. <laughs> more interaction
2: with The promoters, the crowd, like I have been around some little talent and I've been around some big talent and I'm sure Tony's been around some major talent and I've witnessed guys who are the coolest people in the world could chop it up with anybody and then I've witnessed guys who are just arrogant, outright pricks and to see them be that way to the people that made them their money. Like these guys wouldn't be rich if it wasn't for the crowd. And for them to treat the consumer, the people that buy them and pay their way through life, to treat them with such disrespect and look down upon them and stuff like that, like that to me is just
0: We talked about that a little bit on episode nine with uh with John Chappell, you guys know. You know, it's it, it's just like a cancer uh, of the scene and it it just gets you nowhere and I don't understand why why people do that. I mean it's it's harmful for your scene, it's harmful for your personal brand. I mean Who wants to work with you? I um
2: and reality check, if you are in any small market and you look down upon anyone, buddy, they you got a long way to look up because yeah. you are very very low on that totem pole in the line of, in the bigger scheme of things, I guess I would say. Yeah. I
1: um to touch on that a little bit I'm really big on personality as well. You know, there, there's there's people that will come out and watch me play and see me play that are not really big into electronic music. You know, they're more into hip-hop or they're more into this or more into that. But because they like me as a person, they'll come out. They'll support it, you know. And that's touching on, on what you were saying, Billy, about about people and, and the arrogance. It's, it's You're cutting your own throat.
2: I always see it as you're selling yourself as a service. Like you know, like yeah. for the rest of your life. Now that I've taken, I've taken a step into a promoter and throwing in events. And Tony can speak to this as he's been a DJ for so long. But you know, you put yourself in the limelight. You're selling yourself as a product, basically. Like people aren't coming to the events that we throw if they think I'm a shitty product. Right. You know what I mean? Or they think Tony's a shitty product.
1: To me, this is the hospitality business overall. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, throwing a party is is is. You know, being hospitable to people. So more, more positive
0: interaction, less ego. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else should should DJs do
1: more or less of? I guess because I play a little different than your than your average big room DJ. Um, I've, I've I've played a lot of big rooms. Um, I've opened up for a lot of a lot of major artists. And I believe it was Richie Houghton said it best, you know, when you're jumping up and down and you're, you know, you're, you're pointing to the crowd and you're doing this and that, you're really not doing to me and what I would consider your job. You're not in tune with your mix. You're, you're not, you know what I mean? You're not technically into your mix, but people like that at the same time, people don't want to sit and just stare at me when I'm playing and I'm just staring at my mixer and I'm into my mix they want me to jump up and down. They say, oh, well, this guy is boring. Well, it's really not. I'm just really in tune with my mix. So to me, I'm not really, I think, less jumping around, more more actually mix. Get, more more you know, artistry. Absolutely. More layovers, longer layovers, you know, not such short mixes. Like
0: You kind of brought up you, you, uh, you play a little differently than a lot of the
1: people that you
0: have shared the booth with. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you describe your sound? I mean, what's your what's your approach to DJing in 2014?
1: Um, like I said earlier on in the interview, Sasha and Digweed is what really got me into electronic music. So my feel was, back then, was trance, you know, which was progressive trance back then. I liked the progressive feel. Now I'm more into the, you know, the tech house, the techno, the, the deeper house, but I still like that progressive feel. You know, I like... I like some breakdowns. I like the crescendos. I like things like that. I don't going like them, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I don't like them being like the big room overbearing. Like, you know, I'm gonna blow my load on every song. You know, yeah. it, it's it's a build. It's a long build, and and that's what I like. I like long builds. I like telling a story. You know, if you're reading a book, you have the beginning, you have the middle, you have the climax, you have the end, and that's how I like sets to go in. I like tricking the brain You know I don't know I don't want people knowing Whether I'm coming or going You know I just At the end of my set I want them to be like Holy shit What just happened to me You know
0: Yeah So that's a good uh, Like top level Conceptual view What about from the Technical perspective Because I've I've watched you play Plenty mm-hmm. of times mm-hmm. And I know that I mean you, You're not uh, an, an A to B uh, End to end
1: Song mm-hmm. You
0: know Type of DJ
1: mm-hmm. um, it, it Every song is different I I like to use a lot of fillers, which really does not have a lot of leads, and I like taking loops and pieces of those songs, and even if it's two four counts, or a four count and two count, break the bass out, you know, filter low, filter high, whatever, use the effects within Traktor as well, you know, I have Traktor integrated with the CDJs and an X1 controller, and I like to use those effects within Traktor, within the Nexus 900 mixer, and the eq itself to break my songs down and to and to build my songs or to build two four count loops you know yeah um that's that's what i really really enjoy and then you have your songs that have your breakdowns but there's times where i'll add something with the breakdown of a song that actually has a four on the floor going why this song's broken down and taking this song is broken down turning it into a four count and then you know my next song goes on into another filler into another mm-hmm. filler into
0: I like playing this way where uh where you grab a lot of loops and just like kind of layer over each other for a while and kind of almost like a, a live remixing thing and that's something I've always done but haven't done out a whole lot but I'm I'm starting to more and more just because I think it's 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 expressive and people are so concerned with I guess it's probably mostly other DJs but always talking about all you're doing is pushing buttons and that, you know, that kind of whole thing. I mean, you're not really creating music and the way that you play, you you really are um, a lot of the time. Um, I've seen you grab, a, you know, two bar loop and play with that for like eight minutes and like nobody will, I mean, probably not literally eight minutes, but you know what I mean? Like, and nobody will know because you keep changing it. You keep doing things to that loop and on top of that loop and under that loop and it sounds like you've you've gone through four or five different songs when you haven't but they're it
1: all just works together and it's, it's presentation it's it's the way that you present it to people you know again like we were talking about the newer electronic music it's out the commercial the EDM is to me is what i like to call instant gratification because that's what kids like man they they need something different constantly yeah. i mean i can take four loops and and, and write them out and that's fine and dandy, but to them it's going to be the same thing. So when you start adding effects and breaking those down and taking that you know, and and building quicker and quicker and quicker, now it's starting to change a little faster and they don't get so bored with it so fast.
0: That's one of the things I like about how you use effects because uh, I'm not a big effects user. I, I use it kind of as a tool sometimes if I'm trying to Put a build where there isn't one, or something like that. But like you, you literally use effects like it's part of the mix instead of like you're affecting the mix. I don't know if that really makes sense, Absolutely. but uh, usually when I've seen you do this, I mean you're you're actually adding something to it and not doing it for its own sake. And I get tired of, uh, you know, it's kind of like the old, back in the 90s, it was the flanger button where people (laughs) just slam on that flanger button over whatever trance track they were playing, you know, and it was just kind of the go-to thing. And there are so many of these go-to effects, and they don't think about, it's kind of like what we talked about with building a show. They're not thinking of it in, like, the context of the bigger picture, what you're actually trying to do. Why am I adding this little bit of reverb to this, you know hi-hat loop or whatever why am i actually doing this they're just like oh i should probably be doing something right you know and i think that's the difference in you know artistry when it comes to djing that's where that comes out
1: it took me diving into to actually richie houghton Mm. and dub fire it took me diving into those guys because i I was playing like i i told you earlier you know i have been playing on tractor since final scratch and then I went into the MIDI controllers, and it was cool that I could have four tracks going, four loops going, and and it was cool. But then, you know, when I started adding the tape delays and the reverbs and, and all that stuff, and actually when we had the control tour here, Ian Golden, you know, just, just watching those guys in that classroom, mm-hmm. it was just like, okay it makes sense.
0: I, th- I think this is probably common with a lot of people who's, who um, produce as well, or started producing before DJing, or have some kind of knowledge with that, because they, and, and I think that you have this as well, just by observing you play, is like, you're trying to create, you're using whatever effect, or whatever that you're using, to c- help compose something. You know, you're either, either I'm adding this delay because it adds an extra shuffle, you know, on the three count that really helps with, uh, building the energy or whatever, instead of like, oh, I just, there should be a filter sweep here because that's what DJs do. And, you know, I I think that kind of thing is important because, you know, this is kind of getting a little off topic, but a lot of the bickering that goes on in the DJ scene is about, you know, like what format you're using, what equipment you're using, um, that sort of thing and sync and not sync and controllers and blah, blah, blah. And and it really is. I mean it's it's kind of like we talked about at breakfast, you know, you can you can give two people a pencil and you can give two people photoshop and you're going to get much different results. There are artists that use pencils and artists that use photoshop and people that completely suck with both of them. And like I don't I I just it blows my mind that DJs get so hung up on these kind of issues. Of course there are people who just push sync and smash two songs together and it sucks. Well why, why wouldn't they? i'm gonna make a terrible picture if you hand me a pencil but that doesn't mean that that's a poor tool for the job i can't use photoshop (laughs) yeah and right (laughs) so it's why do people get so hung up on that i don't i don't Um, understand but
1: you know when i when i was using my computer in 2004 with vinyl scratch i was getting called a cheater then and i it was that was the first format the the mp3 to vinyl i then i started using a midi controller and you know i was getting called a cheater Then as well, and it's not. And again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go back to Richie Hutton. You know, I watched a video, and he was talking about the pitch control. When you're, when you're mixing two records, you know, you only have this much, and you constantly have to worry about the kit, the pitch control. Well, that takes away your worry about the pitch control and be able to focus on the mix. And to do a million different things with that mix that you were never able to do before. Because you always had to worry that you only had this much to mix. When you have three or four decks going, you don't have to worry about any of that. You can worry about your EQ, you can worry about your effects, and building more on those four blocks that you could with those two blocks. Going back to records and things like that, all you could worry about is what you had on that record and that pitch control constantly.
0: You know, it's funny because it seems like there are a lot of uh, DJs or just people who have strong opinion about this where they would be fine with you playing on a set of, you know, two turntables and a two-channel mixer. And they would be fine if you were, like, if you're using a drum machine and, uh, you know, a a synthesizer with an arpeggiator and whatever, and you had, like, a live setup. But nothing in between will make them happy. And I don't. I, it like seems one extreme like, or the most. yeah, it seems like there's a disconnect there. <laughs> I I get why people want to play records because I do it. It's fun. I like it. And I, but I get the other extreme too. So it, it, I don't know. It boggles my mind that people get hung up on this. Uh, at what point does it become cheating, and why? What What does that even mean?
1: If I went to the to the music store right now and picked up a guitar and bought a guitar, I'm not going to call myself a guitarist. But you have. People that go pick up, you know, a little controller and, Or even just their laptop with their mouse And, hey, I'm a DJ It's, it's way beyond that
0: Yeah, I I think and Now I get that, for sure I get that mindset um, And I think that, that people get so fired up about it, though That it bleeds into this whole format war thing mm-hmm. Why does, you know, Richie Houghton, for example Why does he have to continually prove himself By playing on vinyl records? Well, he doesn't Right but there are there are people I'm sure, but there's hardly anybody is like well Richie Houghton, he's not a real DJ <laughs> like
1: people are always gonna like, hate they're always gonna hate and they're hating on things that they don't know yeah most of the time they don't understand them so they don't like them I've had I've had several friends and to this day that are now playing on Tractor I mean I've turned a lot of people on to Tractor you know those people when i was playing tractor a long time ago we were very skeptical of it and, Oh, you're cheating uh you know now they live by
0: it and there's there's some version of that for for any point in history right like well you're you're using a turntable with pitch control well that's cheating you know what i mean <laughs> or what you're using a cd player you can hit play and there's like cues you know cue marks that's cheating and then came bpm counters and boy that was a big deal and then came Final Scratch, and then came the sync button, and then, you know, it just goes on and on and on. I, I, I don't know if there's... We have to reach critical mass at some point to where there's nothing else for them to complain about.
2: But I see that as musical progression. You know, that's just a progression of music. If you want music to continue to get better, then they have to focus on what's going on, improve it, and make it to where they can do something else to it. You know, so they're making it every time so they can do something else to it to continue to build the music.
0: This kind of thing happened when, when drum machines first came out. Drum machines weren't created to make techno. They were invented to replace a drummer. Well, that's cheating. Well, that's cheating. What do you, why don't you get a real drummer? Blah, blah, blah. And now there are, like, multitudes of genres built because the 909 and the 808 existed, and, you know, the, I, I see that as the same thing, I guess. So, what, um, what would you guys say is in your future?
1: As a DJ, I mean obviously we'd all would love to tour the world in dj um i'm happy if i go on a tour i'm happy if i don't go on a tour i i feel like the brand that we're building and and some things that we have planned for the future and what you know what our vision is it it makes me happy enough you know i don't even know if i'm going to have time to go tour because of this brand and i'm cool with that we're building a scene in our city and trying to bring something to our city, and something that we wouldn't otherwise have, right? Absolutely. And if if something spurs off of that, it's I've been doing doing it over twenty years, you know. And there's kids that come on the scene that are nineteen, twenty years old that are touring the world, making a hundred thousand dollars a gig. You know, does that bother me? No. So what about?
0: Uh what about three dimensional as a brand? Um, do you just do you want to scale it up? Do you want to keep it where it is? Do you want? I Definitely mean, is, is scale it up, bigger, Absolutely. better.
2: I'm scaling it up,
0: bigger is better. Okay,
2: <clears throat> we. I mean, me personally, I want to push the envelope. Tony's right there with me, so I speak for us, I guess, all the time. We want to continue to push that envelope. Like I envision every one of our shows next year at a new venue, breaking in a new venue every time we decide we want to throw an event. Like I. I feel like where we're taking the brand and the connections that we have made already and have had established for years are going to make that happen. And our sheer drive alone will get that done. I mean, he he's willing to bust his ass just as much as I'm willing to bust my ass. I'll work 12 hours a day every day of the week if that's what it takes. I want to push this scene into what I know... It can be because I've witnessed it firsthand, and so has he. I've seen 1,800 people parties. You know, I've seen that in the Dayton area. I've seen people drop and run from Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, Detroit, Toledo. Those guys would run to events in the Dayton area, drop what they were doing in their own cities to come to the events in Dayton because the events in Dayton were so. Midwest known of being stellar all the time
0: and see I did not witness that which makes me equally excited to see it because I came in after that
2: you know I've seen the roller dome packed out people hanging over the balcony like laying there with laying over it watching the artists you know that place full to the brim upstairs downstairs the basement everyone I've seen naughty groove play the basement of the gym club with one blue LED light placed right in front of both of his turntables, that was the only light. there was 400 kids in that basement. not one of them could get close enough to naughty Groove. and I mean we're talking you know to, we're only talking 10, 12 years ago, so it's not that far removed, and it's not out of the question for it to happen again. I don't feel at all.
0: Where can uh, listeners of the passionate DJ podcast connect with you guys?
2: the three-dimensional website is com. that's three d m e n t i o n a l dot com uh we also have the three-dimensional facebook uh three-dimensional twitter uh, that's twitter forward slash three-dimensional uh, instagram, the instagram three-dimensional. twitter all those are linked on our website um at the moment our website isn't up and running, but we are working diligently every day to get that thing to where it needs to be.
0: And it'll probably be up by the, the time that like future listeners come oh, back yeah. to this episode. Absolutely. So we're only, definitely check it out.
2: Yeah, we're only a couple weeks out maybe. So
0: hey guys, thanks so much for coming out. That was awesome. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, brother. Yeah. Thank you.
0: There you have it folks. A couple of guys who just really um, have the passion and the drive that is necessary to help a scene like this thrive huge respect to those guys thank you guys so much for coming out and being on the podcast and just a quick reminder i'm dying to answer your questions on the podcast so please 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 go to passionatedj.com forward slash ask and i'll do my best to get you an answer until then we'll see you next time for episode 12 take care
2: Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionate DJ or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning.